Welcome to everybody at South Mountain, everyone online, everyone in Mesa. We're also excited for our third campus launching next month at Fountain Hills. Thank you, 1030 Service, for acting like you care about that. Last service had to get rebuked in Jesus' name. <laughs> We're grateful for what God's doing. Sometimes we take for granted all the good things that he's doing. Our church that grew 40% since COVID started. We're in the middle of a building program and we're seeing people come to Jesus. We're in a series now called Life After Death. It's super relevant because you're going to die. And last week we talked all about heaven. It was really fun. And if you missed it, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today I want to talk about hell. Aren't you grateful to be saved? Aren't you grateful that you're going to heaven? Some people don't fully appreciate what they're saved from, and that's hell. So today I'm hoping to scare the hell out of you. I'm going to preach a hell of a good sermon, and I pray that it's a blessing to you. Hell is discussed in the Bible over 167 times. Sometimes it's called Sheol or Hades, the grave or the land of the dead, but really it's hell. Americans were surveyed and 72% say they believe in heaven, whereas only 58% believe in hell. And out of those who do believe in hell, only 1% of people think there's a chance they could actually go there. So there's obviously a disconnect in our reality and in our beliefs. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, the highway to hell is broad. That phrase was not coined by ACDC. That's a JC original. Its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. A lot of Christians even will say, I believe in heaven, but not necessarily hell. And I need you to understand this. I'm starting out with some hard truth right away. To deny hell is to deny Christ. You cannot say you believe in Jesus, but not believe Jesus. He talked about hell more than anyone else in the New Testament, an average of about once per month of his ministry. So around 33 times he talked about hell. That's a lot. Could you imagine if one week out of every month I said, okay, time to talk about hell again. Why would he talk about it so much? It's because it was a big deal. It is a big deal. And he doesn't want anyone to go there. In his very first sermon, he warns people about hell. And there are people today who would say, we shouldn't really preach about hell. That's a scare tactic. And I am more than comfortable with scaring the hell out of people. Because understanding how high the stakes are helps you to make the right choices. If I came to your house tonight at midnight and I said, hi, uh, good to see you. Um, you guys want to go for a walk? You want to go hang out? You might say, Pastor Ryan, it's, it's midnight. I, I'm tired from serving at church all day. And I got to go to work tomorrow. And I'd be like, oh, okay. But what if I knocked on your door and I said, hey, I want to invite you guys to come out with me uh, because it's actually, uh, your house is on fire. And if you stay in your house, you're going to die a terrible death or you could come out here with me. That would, that would change, right? The decision-making process, knowing the stakes of the decision. Well, there's a lot of people who they don't understand how high the stakes are today, so they have a very nonchalant attitude about faith. And they'll say, well, you know, uh, I don't really think I want to become a Christian because, you know, all the rules, and I don't necessarily want to go to church on Sunday. I'd rather stay home and watch the Cardinals go 3-0, and which they will. 
And plus, it's like, how do we even really know that yeah, Jesus is the only way? So they just don't really understand how high the stakes are. In reality, when you really know what God's word says, you know that the rules are meant to protect you. Going to church is not a burden. It's actually a blessing. And hell is very real. And there's only one way to escape it. And that's through Jesus. Everyone has to decide for themselves whether to accept or reject Jesus. I cannot drag you out of hell. Your mama who prays cannot drag you out of hell. You might have got baptized as an infant, but you've got to decide for yourself to accept Jesus if you want to be saved from hell. It's the most important decision you could ever make. So let's go through some of the questions that come up about hell, because I want you to understand it, and then we're going to come to the end here in a little bit. I'll help you apply it to your life. First, why did God even create hell? Why create such a terrible place? It says in Matthew 25, 41, Jesus is talking about Judgment Day. And he says, Then he, the judge, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So hell was originally created for the devil and his demons, who were angels. They all rebelled against God. Lucifer and the angels, a third of the angels, rebelled against God, and they were cast out of heaven, and God created hell as their eternal destination. But then it says this in Isaiah chapter 5, Therefore Sheol, that's another word for hell in Hebrew, has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. In other words, what this is saying is it was originally created for a small group and it's been enlarged to make room for more people. Everyone who chooses to rebel against God will follow Satan and the demons to hell, where rebels go. What is it like? That's the question I really want to talk about today. What is hell like? Jesus tells a story about hell, and people often call it a parable. It's not really a parable. Uh, people get confused on that. It's actually a story with real names and real people, and no other parable has real names, real people in it. But he uses in this story some imagery that's not technical in nature to help us understand the realities of heaven and hell. So keep that in mind as you read this, but there's a lot of truth that's communicated through this story. Luke 16, Jesus says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So a couple things to point out there. The rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. It's not a sin to be rich. He went to hell because he was a rebel against God. And this would have been kind of mind-blowing for this culture in this day because they just kind of assumed that anyone that was wealthy was blessed by God and anyone who was poor was cursed by God. And that's not the case. This poor man goes to heaven and this rich man goes to hell. And another thing you need to notice is they went there immediately. They died and they went there immediately. They didn't go to sleep for a couple thousand years. They were immediately in heaven and in hell. Okay, so here's what happens. The rich man called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. 
He's down in hell. He said, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. <clears throat> okay, so this is one part where I think we see the imagery. Is there really a chasm between heaven and hell? Probably not. I don't think so. I think this is imagery to help us understand you are not going to cross over. <clears throat> you can't graduate out of hell. You can't leave heaven to go and show charity to people in hell. Um, once you go to either location, it is forever and there are no exceptions. Here's what the rich man said. He answered Abraham, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. What's he talking about? The Old Testament scriptures. What we would call the Old Testament, they would call the Pentateuch and the prophets were the other books of the Old Testament. And Abraham was saying, you don't need to go warn them. We don't need to send someone to warn them. They have everything they need. They have all the warning they need in the Bible, what we would call the Bible, the Word of God. If they won't listen to the Bible, then they aren't going to listen to ghosts either. No, Father Abraham, the rich man said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. So he's arguing. Abraham said back to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And this is really ironic, foreshadowing, being told by Jesus since he was going to rise from the dead. And people would still not believe him. The only person who's ever come from heaven and knows about hell, people won't believe Jesus. It proves this story is true. So we see that we can learn a lot from Jesus, from the word of God about hell. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture today, if you can't already tell. I like to read a lot of scripture when I preach. And I'm going to bring even more than normal today. Is that okay? It's really cool because it helps you understand that a lot of the big questions you're asking about life and death are already answered in the Bible. So hopefully this gets you excited. So what, what other answers are in the Bible? All of them. Here's what we see. First, hell is eternal. It was made for eternal beings. Uh, uh, Satan, his demons, they're eternal beings. And also, you are an eternal being. You might not feel eternal as you age and get old and you sag and bag, but that's because you have a temporary body, yet you have an eternal soul. Eventually, you'll have an eternal body as well. But you have a soul that is eternal, so the punishment is eternal. In Matthew 25, we read this verse. Uh, he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are many false theories about hell, and a lot of them really boil down to this. It's people who don't like the fact that there is a hell, so they try to make it feel less threatening. They try to make it seem better. 
less hell-like, if you will. So there are a lot of people that think, well, you know, it's probably not really forever. Maybe it's like a purgatory experience, and after you, you pay your dues, you can get out. Or maybe after a while, God will just destroy everyone, and he'll just wipe it off the face of the map. He'll say enough is enough, because it would just be really intense for there to be a real hell forever. Yet there is. And the Bible makes it very clear. It is forever. The word here in this verse, in verse 46, is uh, ionios, eternal. Ionios in Greek. It's the same word used to describe punishment and life. Eternal punishment, eternal life. Ionios. So if the eternal life that we receive through Jesus lasts forever in heaven, we can't turn around and say the punishment that is deserved by sinners is temporary. It's also eternal. It lasts forever. That's intense. That means people who go to hell after 10,000 lifetimes are not going to be one second closer to the end because it doesn't end. Also, we see hell is on fire. Fire is pretty terrifying. The idea of being burned is terrifying. If you've ever burnt your hand on a stove or in any other way, you know how painful it is. Jesus warned us in Matthew 4, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Fire is part of hell. It's in hell. It's part of God's judgment. And there are people that try to make it seem less scary. They'll say, well, that's just metaphorical. It's probably not real fire. And, and I can understand why people might say that. They'll say, oh, you know, I'm so hot. I'm fuming. My head is steaming. It's like probably not. But in Arizona, maybe. But we understand metaphorical language, yet hell has real fire. And it's the perfect uh, representation for God's wrath towards sin. It says in Deuteronomy 32, For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realms of the dead below. The fire in hell is the result of God's wrath towards sin. And if it was a metaphor, just to understand this theologically, that would not in any way be a relief. Because in the Bible, metaphor always represents something greater, not lesser. So like in the parable of the sowers, it talks about a bird comes and snatches away the seed. The bird represents Satan. And in real life, Satan's a lot worse than a bird. You tracking? In another parable, Jesus tells, uh, wicked servants are punished with a whip. That represents being punished in hell. Being punished in hell is a lot worse than being punished with a whip. You tracking? So if the fire were metaphorical, it wouldn't be a relief. Uh, that means that whatever there is would actually be worse. I'm very confident that there is real fire in hell. First, because it wasn't mentioned just once or twice, but over 50 times in just the New Testament. Uh, also, because Jesus was really good with the words. And he didn't misspeak. He didn't say it's like fire. That'd be called a simile. He just called it fire again and again and again. In Mark 9, he said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. And when he uses the word hell here in this verse, he's using the word Gehenna. Gehenna was a place south of Jerusalem, outside of the city walls, and it was basically the city trash dump. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, 
The Hebrew people were familiar with Gehenna. It's where they would take the human waste from the city and burn it. They would throw dead animal carcasses there in the fires and burn them. They would discard the bodies of executed criminals in the fires and it would be burnt up. It was a stinking, fiery cesspit of death. And that's the description, that's the image Jesus uses to describe hell. So it's very serious. And also, we need to keep in mind that after the final judgment, I'll talk about this in a few weeks, the dead will rise physically. So your soul immediately goes to heaven or hell. At the final judgment, all the physical bodies are going to come up out of the grave. It's going to be like the walking dead. It's going to be really weird. And they're all gonna, we're all going to be judged. Your body, your soul are going to come back together temporarily. You're going to be judged by God. You'll have a physical body at judgment. So if you have a physical body in eternity, it makes sense. The fires are also physical. Revelation 20 verse 14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Hell has fire. Also we see this. Hell is conscious agony. It's conscious agony. I'll hear people try to say, well, maybe you're not conscious. Maybe you're just going to be like kind of, you know, asleep. You're missing out and it's a bummer, but you're not going to really know what's going on. That is not in any way true. We read with the story of the rich man. He said, I am in agony in this fire. He knew he was in agony. He was aware of his situation. So much so that even a drop of water seemed like a relief. He wasn't even asking for a cup of water. He just wanted a drop of water. You're not even going to get to sleep in hell. Which if you've ever been going through like a rough season, you know just going to sleep can really be a huge relief, right? If you've just been like emotional turmoil, you've been depressed, you've been stressed out, if you could just go to sleep, it kind of helps to reset your system and give you fresh perspective and, and, and rest can help you not feel so overwhelmed. But here's what it says in Revelation 14. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. No rest, no sleeping. You know, humans, if they don't get sleep, they kind of go crazy. Hell is going to be insane. And, and it's ironic that so many tombstones and, and cemeteries across the world, they say, rest in peace. But they represent people who have no rest and will never have rest. They will never have peace. We know that hell is boring. <laughs> That's one of the interesting things I don't think a lot of people realize. A lot of people are afraid heaven is going to be boring. And I've heard people say, you know, I'd rather party in hell than be bored in heaven. It's dumb. <laughs> really dumb. It's actually the opposite. Hell is boring. It says in Ecclesiastes 9, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in hell. There's no work. There's no purpose. There's no planning. You're not going to have anything fun to look forward to. There's no knowledge or wisdom. You're not going to be able to learn or discover. You're not going to have interesting thoughts to sit around and ponder and debate. It's just going to be mind-numbingly dull forever. We see hell is dark. God is light, and Jesus is described as the light of the world. But hell is described as a place of outer darkness. In Jude 1, they use this imagery comparing false teachers to wandering stars. So you think about stars up in the black of outer space. For whom the gloom of utter darkness 
has been reserved forever. Darkness is just inherently disorienting, and it's scary. Hell is also lonely. I think when I was in the military, I would go through some of these difficult seasons, difficult training scenarios, getting deployed for a year. But as hard as it was, as bad as it was at times, at least the guys there, we had each other. And anyone who's been in the military will tell you, man, the camaraderie is what really kind of keeps you going. You could at least commiserate together and laugh about how bad your situation was. But community is something that comes from God. It's a byproduct of God's triune nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is community. God is relationship. God is love. So all those things are a result of God and us being made in His image. We were designed for community. Friendship comes from God. Companionship and intimacy comes from God. In hell, God is completely absent And so the good things of God are also completely absent. So hell will be the loneliest place that anyone has ever been. There will be no camaraderie, no commiserating, no companionship, no conversation. Can't even just stand around the water cooler and talk about how bad it is. There's no water and there's no one to talk to. If you do hear anyone else, you'll only hear wailing and weeping and cursing. We see that hell is hopeless. It's hopeless. In this life, you always have hope. It doesn't matter how bad your life has been, you've got hope. Because you've got a chance to turn your life over to Jesus and experience his miracle working power in your life. Even if you were to face a really difficult path, you could still experience good things along the way. Even if you were dealing with sickness and pain beyond measure, you've got the hope of death. Even the hope of death, that I could be in torment, but at least I'll die eventually and it will stop. I've talked to people who have terminal sicknesses, they're in pain, and they're actually looking forward to death because they just want relief from the pain. Well, people in hell, there is no hope. There is no hope of ever getting out. There is no hope of it ever getting better. It's completely hopeless. The rich man, he heard from Abraham, you can't come here, I can't go there. There is no relief. Also, we see hell is worse for some than others. This is because God is, is a just judge. And he does not judge everyone the same. Some people he judges according, according to a stricter standard. Uh, Jesus tells a parable in Luke 12 about wicked servants. And they all got punished. But those who knew they were doing wrong got punished worse than those who didn't know they were doing wrong. It's going to be the same in hell. Those who really knew a lot, they're going to get punished worse than those who didn't know as much. We also read this passage in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to hell. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. So if you don't know what's going on here, Sodom and Gomorrah were two cities destroyed in the Old Testament times because they were totally wicked and they would not repent. Jesus is here talking to Capernaum and he said, you're beyond belief, you guys. Like I did all these miracles here and you still don't believe in me? If, if Sodom had seen these kind of miracles, they would have repented. How does he know that? Because he's God. He knows everything. So he's saying, Sodom is going to be better off than you all. Because you actually had the Son of God in your midst doing miracles and you still rejected him. 
I think about how bad it's going to be for Americans who go to hell. You grew up in a Christian culture with freedom of religion and the opportunity to learn about God and read his word and go to church freely. And there are so many people growing up in this Christian society who have rejected God. They're going to have no excuse. Who goes to hell? That's a question. Who actually goes there? You've probably told some people to go there. I know, I know what happens when you're in the car. I'm not judging you. Here's what it says in Revelation 20. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. So that has to do with end times, the beast and false prophet. I'm going to talk about that in another sermon. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So who else goes there besides Satan and the demons? Most people would agree that bad people deserve to go there. They'd say, well, yeah. Probably, you know, Hitler, terrorists, people of political parties I disagree with. (laughs) But not good people. Not like my neighbor Bob. I know he's not a Christian, but he's a good guy. He cut my grass for me last summer. Not me. I'm not religious, but I'm a good person. And my mom baptized me when I was an infant. Like, eh, Nobody, usually people you talk to, really thinks they could go to hell. It's always like other bad people. Who actually goes to hell? Well, we see, remember Jesus said, the highway to hell is broad, its gate is wide. For the many who choose that way. There's bad news, there's good news. I'll give it to you right here. First, bad news. Every human being is guilty of sin and goes to hell by default. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Bad news, because of sin, everyone who goes to hell deserves the punishment they get there. In Romans 2.5, it says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. The Bible talks about what kind of people go to hell. It gives us descriptions. It says, as for the cowardly, the faithless, that's those who don't believe in Jesus, the detestable or vile. I, I think it's kind of a joke our Culture says, like, most people are basically good. We know that there are some very vile people in this world who do terrible things. As for the sexually immoral, that's any kind of sexual immorality that people embrace. It could be sleeping with your girlfriend, you're not married to her. It could be embracing an LGBT lifestyle. The culture says, oh, we shouldn't judge that. Love is love. God understands. No, some people love sin, and all sin leads to death. People don't go to hell because of just sexual immorality, but sexual immorality is a reflection of a heart rebelled against God. Sorcerers, that's people who practice witchcraft, Wicca, idolaters. That's loving anything more than God. And all liars. Any of you ever told a lie? Yeah, a lot of liars in the room right now. (laughs) What do you call people who lie to you? Liars, right? These people are going to be thrown into the lake of fire, and that's the second death. And so maybe you thought, well, none of that really applies to me. I'm not a liar. (laughs) Revelation 22 says, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is going to include a lot of religious people, a lot of people who did a lot of charity, a lot of people who did a lot of good things in the world, because there's only one way to get your name recorded in the book of life. 
That's accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. So bad news is that everyone starts out on the path to hell. But the good news is that you don't have to stay on that path. You can leave that path and you can choose eternal life. And everyone has that opportunity. That's the gospel. Gospel means good news is that anyone can have their name written in the book of life by accepting Jesus Christ, believing in him. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can be saved. You don't have to earn it. And that's good because you can't earn it. You'll never deserve it. It's a gift. You don't earn gifts. You just receive them. What about people who never heard the gospel, though? What if there's people living on an island they've never heard about Jesus? Here's what the Bible says. They have no excuse. Romans 1 says this. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. So someone might not have a Bible, but that doesn't give them an excuse. Because what God is saying here is that everyone has sinned, everyone deserves the punishment for their sins. God has placed eternity in the hearts of men, so we know that there is eternity, there is life after death. We just intrinsically know that in our souls, we don't even need to be told. And then God says this, creation tells the story sufficiently. You just look up at the earth, the earth around you, the sky, the stars, the ocean, and you just, in your soul, you just know someone did this. There has got to be a creator behind all this creation. And so there are people, even if they don't have the words to say perfectly in their soul, they're going to cry out to God and they're going to say, God, I don't know you, but I want to. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to do your will. I want to submit my life to you and please you. And those people, even without the perfect words and all the information, will be saved. But those who reject God, regardless of what they knew, they're not going to have an excuse. So that brings me to the really tricky questions that people often ask. How can a loving God send people to hell? This is probably a question you've wondered about or been asked yourself. I hear people often say, I don't want to believe in a God who would send people to hell. I call this the Peter Pan complex. Because you're acting like you're Peter Pan and God is Tinkerbell. And if you don't like his policies, you can just not believe in him. And that will make it all go away. That's not how it works. He's God, the creator of the universe. It doesn't really matter if you like it or not. It is the way he says it is. You can believe or you cannot believe, and it will have no effect on God. But it will have an effect on you and your eternity. The concept of eternal punishment seems unfair to a lot of people because a lot of people have a false assumption that most people are basically good. But we read, you know, no one is good is what Romans 3 says. So it seems to us like sometimes the punishment doesn't fit the crime, 
because we don't really understand what's going on here. God doesn't send people to hell just for lying one time or for gossiping a little bit. We wonder this. How can a finite crime warrant an infinite punishment? But we understand. We can think through this rationally and come to understanding quite easily, I think. In our legal system today, the punishment isn't based on the length of time a crime is committed. It's not based on the duration of a crime, but on the severity of the crime. So you could steal $5 every single day for the rest of your life, and you'd still probably never go to jail. You could go to the convenience store and take some candy every day, and they would probably not even charge you with a misdemeanor. But you could kill someone in 10 seconds and go to jail for the rest of your life. Because it's not about the length of the crime, but the severity of the crime. And it's not just that, but the punishment is also based on the authority level whose laws you have broken. The authority of the one whose laws you have violated. So for example, if after church you lied to me about how much money you make, nothing is going to happen to you because I have no authority in that part of your life. But if you lie to the IRS about how much money you make, you're going to jail because they have ultimate authority in that part of your life. And so the authority of whose laws you've broken determines the severity of the punishment. So break this down. Understand this. God is the ultimate authority of everyone and everything. His laws matter more than any other laws. When we break God's laws, we deserve the most severe punishment. And it's not that we just did wrong one time for a couple minutes, but we don't we go to hell because we spend our entire lives a lifetime of saying no to God and rejecting Jesus. So the punishment does fit the crime. Some people think it seems unfair because you know, well, after a while they've learned their lesson. After a while, haven't they really kind of done their time? But the answer is no. In hell, the punishment never catches up to the crime. That's because people in hell never stop sinning. This is something that a lot of you haven't really thought about. So listen to this. In our earthly legal system, a lot of people go to jail and they get rehabilitated. I know people, they went to jail as hardened criminals and they gave their life to God. They, beca- they were saved. They became filled with the Holy Spirit. They got educated and they went back out into society as productive, contributing citizens. Completely different. That does not happen in hell. No one goes to hell a bad person and realizes, you know, I really blew it. I've done wrong. Repenting. God, please forgive me. Give me another chance. That doesn't happen. It's not the way it works. No one gets rehabilitated in hell and turns into a good, God-loving person. In Revelation 22, it says this, Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. So this is in the kind of the back of the book. And talking about end times and eternity. And it's saying those who are sinful are going to continue to be sinful. Those who are righteous and holy are going to continue to be that in heaven. So in heaven, there's going to be no more sinning. In hell, there's going to be total sinning. 
Sinners are not going to go to hell and realize like, oh man, I really messed up. Repent. God, give me another chance. I'll do better. In reality, they're going to become bigger sinners in hell than they were in this life. Let me explain that. On earth, right now, all of us, our sins are restrained by two things. The common grace of God and the laws of man. So the common grace of God, what does that mean? Even a serial killer, even a terrible person has some type of conscience usually. And what that is, is it's the presence of the Holy Spirit of God all around us that affects, in some ways, even the lost, even the wicked. And it restrains our wickedness, convicting us of sin. Even bad people who don't love God have some sense of like, well, that's wrong. That comes from God and is a result of his common grace. Also, all of us are restrained in our sinfulness because we fear punishment. You fear, I don't want to go to jail. Like, there are some people I've wanted to kill, but I don't want to go to jail. So I didn't do no killing. <laughs> That's why I'm a pastor. I've never killed anyone. That's all it takes. No, I'm just kidding. In hell, there is going to be no restraint. There's going to be no presence of God, no Holy Spirit, no common grace that convicts people of wrong. There's going to be no fear of repercussions. It doesn't get any worse than it is. The sinful in hell, their hearts are going to be further hardened, and they're not going to call out to God and repent. They're going to curse God. It says this in Revelation 16. This is a scene depicting God's judgment in the end times. Revelation 16 says, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. This represents God's judgment, causing it to scorch everyone with fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sin and turn to God and give him glory. Then the fifth angel, this is the next phase of God's judgment, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed the God of heaven for the pain and sores. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. So this is depicting the devil, the beast, all the, the followers of the beast in the end times. I'll talk more about this later. They're being punished by God. They're experiencing his wrath. That's what these bowls represent, the wrath of God poured out. You would think when you're in that position, experiencing the wrath of God, you'd be like, oh, my bad. Can I get another shot at this? Can I, can I try a do-over? I'm going to choose option B instead because I don't like all this wrath stuff. But instead, it says they ground their teeth in anguish. Remember Jesus said there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They were in anguish. They were in agony. But rather than repent and call out to God for mercy, they curse God. That's what happens in hell. In hell, people are not going to repent of their sins. They're going to become even more wicked than they are now. Hell is for those who hate God. The people in hell hate God, and they will forever, and so they belong in hell forever. In this life we live right now, we see God's goodness all around us. Even if you're going through a hard time, you still see God's goodness. Fresh breeze, delicious coffee, a good steak, a cardinal's victory. Don't tell me what happened. I'm DVRing it. 
But in hell, there's going to be no goodness, no goodness of any form. In Romans 2, 4, it says, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So Romans actually says this about God. It's not the fear of hell that turns us from sin, but the love of God and his kindness that turns us from sin. In hell, there's going to be no kindness. There's going to be nothing good to experience. So if sinners won't repent and turn to God in response to his loving kindness, they're definitely not going to turn to God in response to his justified wrath. Why is this important? Because I often hear Christians say, I don't think I could enjoy heaven knowing that I have loved ones in hell. I, I understand that feeling, that thought. I sympathize with it. But you've got to understand it's based on a very finite way of thinking, a very narrow way of thinking about this, kind of a naive way of thinking. In reality, you will totally enjoy heaven. You will have no regrets, nothing that, that robs you of joy. And that includes knowing there are people in hell. The reason you think that would rob you of joy is because on some levels, real talk right now, you doubt God's goodness and you think you're a better judge than him. God's much, much, much more good than you realize. And we are far more sinful than you realize. We deserve the punishment that people experience in hell. Those of us who are Christians know Jesus took my punishment. When you get to heaven, though, your perspective is going to be widened, and you're going to see things clearly that you can't really see right now. In heaven, you're going to finally understand how holy God is. He is completely holy. Sin cannot exist in his presence. The angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty forever and ever because he is holy. When the prophet saw God, he said, I'm going to die because I'm a sinful man. Like He just recognized, I cannot exist in his presence as a sinful man. And when you see God, when you're in his presence in heaven, you're going to realize sin can't come here. Sin does not belong here. Sin, in, in proportion to this holy God, deserves to be punished. So that's going to change your perspective. You're also going to fully understand how totally loving God is. He's much more loving than you really give him credit for. Do you realize that? We all love him and we know he loves us, but you don't really understand how much he loves you. In heaven, you're going to understand what he did for you, how far he went for you to save you, and you're going to give him the credit he deserves for how much mercy he showed all of us. And in heaven, you're going to realize he's totally just. You're going to have peace knowing that God's justice is perfectly carried out. No one in hell is convicted by mistake. The rich man did not call out to Abraham and said, excuse me, there's been a mistake. I was falsely convicted. I don't deserve to be here. I was basically a good person. He knew he belonged there. No one in hell thinks they don't deserve to be there. So I, I know a lot of Christians that say, you know, I really struggle with hell. I just don't feel comfortable with it. It seems wrong. It seems too harsh of a punishment. I even hear people say, I don't want to believe in a God who would send people to hell. My question to you would be, put this in perspective, who do you think you are? To question God, the creator of the universe, and criticize his justice system. It is not my place to criticize his justice. It's my place to thank him for his grace.
I'm not condemning you for having those thoughts. I'm wanting to help you put it in perspective. Isaiah 45 says, And all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. There will be a sense of shame that we ever question God's goodness. So I don't get to criticize him and think I know better. In one sense, it is good to, to, to say this accurately. God does send people to hell the way that a judge sends criminals to jail. Let's not sugarcoat it. But at the same time, people choose to go to hell. And that's accurate. Most people spend their whole lives telling God, leave me alone, stay out of my life, stay away from me, and hell is where God finally gives them what they wanted all along. And church, once you go to heaven, you're never going to question God's goodness and wonder how he could send good people to hell. Instead, you're going to be amazed at how far he went to let bad people into heaven. You're going to understand what he did is mind-blowing. It says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So hell is terrible, but hear me on this. If you believe in Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, you do not have to fear going to hell because you're not going there. You're not going there. You're going to have eternal life. You're destined for heaven. That's why we're here today. We're celebrating what God has done in our lives. And that's why this church exists. It's not just to help you have a better marriage or to raise your kids. It's also so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. We're doing what Jude 1 says. We are rescuing others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Aren't you grateful to be snatched from the flames of judgment? That's why when we talk about serving at church or giving at church, we, we need to have this in perspective. You know, you could volunteer at a nonprofit and do some good, but that's not the same as serving at church. You could give to a charity and it's nice. That's not the same as giving to build the kingdom of God. There's only one organization that has been rescuing people from the flames of judgment for 2,000 years. That's the church of Jesus Christ. So we're coming to a close. There are many ways to hell. There are many religions that lead to hell. There are many life choices that lead to hell. There's only one road that leads to heaven. There's only one way to escape hell. First Thessalonians says, speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus. I'll talk about his return in a couple of weeks. Whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of coming judgment. It's Jesus. Why would Jesus die for us? Why would God pour out his wrath on his son? Because you were worth it to him. You were worth it to God. God the Father was willing to put his son through hell so you wouldn't have to go there. So the question is not how can a loving God send people to hell. The question is how can people reject a loving God? Why? Why would they do that? I don't know. But we know the stakes are so high and God loves us so much. And so we've got to make the right choice. Some of you, you might not have enjoyed this sermon on some levels, but we need sermons like this. We can't just avoid talking about it because it seems unpleasant. 
there's two reasons we need sermons like this. One, if you're a Christian and you're saved, you need to understand what God saved you from. If you don't understand how bad hell is, you will not appreciate how great God's love is. That's why in churches across America today, you get Christians that come to church and they just stand around while the worship team sings and they go, oh, those lights are cool. And they don't really feel a lot. It's because they don't really appreciate how bad hell really is. It's really, really, really bad. But that allows you, knowing that allows you to appreciate how really, really, really good God is. And that causes us to be grateful. You don't get rescued from the fires of hell and stand around nonchalant, apathetic about God. So I'm encouraging you today to let all of this talk about hell and the detail about how bad it is turn into gratitude in your heart for God. And then the other reason we need to talk about this is that if you're not a Christian yet, you need to understand what's really at stake here. You only have, while you're living on this earth, to choose to accept Jesus. If you die and haven't accepted him yet, that's it. It's over. And there are a lot of people, they're like, oh, you know, I'm on, I'm on the fence. Kind of not sure if I want to really commit to Christianity. There's a lot of other religions out there that have neat things going on. Well, there's only one way that leads to heaven. All these other religions are just traps that lead to hell. So if you're on the fence and you're like, eh, I don't really know if I want to commit, let this just be a loving nudge out of hell. <laughs> Maybe you're like, yeah, you know, I didn't really know if I wanted to become a Christian, but the whole hell thing really pushed me over the fence. <laughs> yeah, there, I, I don't want people to just accept Jesus because they're afraid of hell, but that's not a bad reason <laughs> to accept Jesus. Like, nobody should want to go there. Jesus said, some of you are in dangers. You're in danger of the fires of hell. And listen, there could be people at church right now in Mesa, in uh, South Mountain, online, who are in danger of the fires of hell. If you're sitting here and you're scared that you could go to hell, it might be that you are going to hell. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit affirms to our spirit that we are children of God. That means that when you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit confirms in your spirit you're saved. You're going to heaven because you believe in Jesus. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't think I am. I'm really scared of hell. It might be the Holy Spirit is convicting you so that you can get saved and escape hell. No one should leave here afraid of hell. If you do, it's your own choice. Let's just be clear on that. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. Lord, I thank you for this truth that you've spoken to us. The clear warning you've given us. We now know what's at stake. I pray for anyone who's far from God today who needs to accept you, Lord, that they would turn their lives over to you right now. If you're here today, if you're with me, and you want to be saved, and you want to know that you're going to heaven, then I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me right now and say, God, I need you to save me. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and he lived a perfect life that I could not live. I believe he died on the cross, the death that I deserved. 
I believe that Jesus rose again so I could have eternal life and that he has saved me from the punishment that I deserved. I want to follow Jesus from this day forward. I want to live for Jesus. I thank you, God, for loving me. And now I ask you to lead me in Jesus' name. Amen.